welcome to Radical Math Talk, the podcast dedicated to the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, and on this podcast, I will highlight the incredible educators who are reshaping, redefining, and decolonizing the way that math education is taught in our schools. In other words, this will not be your typical math podcast. My goal is to center the stories and hidden truths that will not only ignite a cultural paradigm shift in math education, but more specifically, explore the multiple ways in which math can be used as a vehicle for social justice and anti-racist solidarity. So if you are ready for a math revolution like no other, then sit back, relax, and lend me your ears as we embark on this journey together. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome to a brand new episode of Radical Math Talk, the show for the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Salfamensa, and if this is your first time tuning in to this podcast, I welcome you and I hope that you return for future episodes. If you love what you see tonight, of course, and I guarantee that you will. And if you are a returning listener or viewer of this podcast, I welcome you back and I hope that today's episode is one that you find informative, enlightening, and of course, insightful. So before we get to the main event, just a reminder for my people out in YouTube, make sure you hit the red subscribe button to get future notifications for new episodes of the podcast. Also, if you're tuning in from Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can subscribe there as well. We appreciate the support. And for those who would love to contribute to the growth of this podcast and that Dane Talk network as a whole, uh, we do accept donations through Cash App and Venmo. If you're on Cash App, our handle will be money sign ID Talk for Ed. If you're on Venmo, um, our handle will be at Kwame SM. That's at symbol K W A M E S M. And to check out past episodes of the podcast, you can go to our YouTube channel, which is under my name, Kwame Salfamensa, or you can visit our official website at identitytalkforeducators.com. Thank you kindly. All right, y'all. So today's episode is one where we're focusing on women. And for anyone who has been following the Radical Math Talk podcast, or our flagship podcast, Identity Talk for Educators Live, you'll know at this point that most of the guests that come on here are women of color, and that's an intentional choice that I made when I first started podcasting in general. So tonight's guest is somebody who is not only doing phenomenal work, in the STEM field, but also advocating for women of color in the entrepreneurial space, because we know there is a gap that has to be addressed there. And she's doing her part to make sure that women of color are elevated within that space. And I'm just excited to have her on so she could share her journey on how she got to where she is today. So I don't want to waste any more time. I want to make sure we bring on tonight's guest. So without further ado, I want to bring on Jessica Sannon to the podcast to talk to us about her journey and 
what brought her into entrepreneurship and STEM in general. So let's bring Jessica on. Hello. Hi. How are we doing today? Hanging in there. Thank you so much for inviting me on this podcast. Super excited to, to start this conversation with you all. Yeah. And I appreciate you accepting the invitation to come on because I know that your time is valuable and precious. So we appreciate you coming on to just sacrifice some of that time to talk with us about STEM and entrepreneurship in general. I don't, it's definitely not a sacrifice. I think it's super needed, right? When we think about how stories impact people um, and having these kinds of conversations give people that kind of access and opportunity beyond what we typically or normally see as traditional leadership uh, or leadership roles. So it's definitely not a sacrifice. I think it's a must need. And I'm just so thankful that you are intentionally focusing mainly on women of color uh, in the education space. Well, I just feel like it's imperative for us to do that and to amplify those voices. So let's jump right in. This is called Radical Math Talk, so we have to talk about math, obviously, right? Right. Now, all of us math lovers, we have what we call a mathography. So for this first segment, I always have my guests share their math autobiography. That's essentially what it is. So how did you first fall in love with math? When did you first encounter math as a child? How has that love evolved over time? And how have you been able to leverage it in your professional and even personal endeavors? So just, I want to give you the chance to share that story and how you've been able to maintain this relationship with math in general over time. It's a good question. I think um, for starters, I I want to acknowledge that for me, Math kind of wasn't, uh, I guess math wasn't really an option. Like I needed to excel in math. And I say this because uh, someone like me, I was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. My family came from Haiti um, and they came because they wanted their children to have a great education. Um, But for me, it was so hard to talk in class, to participate in class because of some of the cultural barriers I face when it comes to, you know, talking only when you're spoken to um, and, you know, just the whole kind of atmosphere that I had at home that when I wanted to kind of articulate in my thoughts and stuff, it just didn't really resonate. And so sometimes when I was in English class or social studies or what have you, sometimes, you know, my interpretation of what is said is often very times different from how it's perceived. And so um, there was a time in elementary school where my parents were super concerned of my my grades in, in English class. And I needed to find that one class that I excelled really great in. And math happened to be it. Math was my universal language. And I say this because for math, at least, I didn't need to Um, explain myself in the ways that I felt like I needed to in English or in science. Um, And in fact, in that kind of um, opportunity that was granted to me, I found myself excelling exponentially in math, actually, the the more that I tune in and focus on it, um, when I had kind of the support systems in place from educators, um, as well as folks in my family. So 
the first time I would ever say that I truly had a passion for math or a love for math outside of like, I needed to find that one, you know, subject that really mattered to me. Um, I had an uncle and, you know, you have uncles, friends of the family who literally in the summer would teach me multiplication and division before going into, I think, second or third grade. Um, and I found that to be super fun. And he would always incentivize um, me learning. And when I say learning, even if I didn't get it right the first time, if he saw that I was trying, he would give me a dollar or $2, right? So that incentivizing was critical for me to really understand how math um, kind of really made me um, at that time, what I felt to be superwoman, right? Like I was such a brainiac and a nerd till this day I am, um, and I will absorb all of that. So fast forward, I um, just continued to excel in my math classes, continued to advocate for myself in math. Um, and you know, it's serious when um, I was in seventh grade and I was in geometry class, I got a D in the class and I literally went to the teacher with my binder of like worksheets and stuff to say, I think you need to like look at my grade again because I know I did not fail this class with a D. Um, and she looked back and she's like, oh, okay, my apologies. Um, you're actually passing class with flying colors. And again, for someone like me growing up where I was super quiet, shy, um, I was internalizing a lot of things. Again, how women are perceived in the classroom and at home. Um, for me to kind of advocate myself in seventh grade to get a good grade, I was like, okay, <laughs> um, that's a lot. Um, or that's something that, you know, in terms of confidence building that I really um, enjoyed seeing within myself. So um, I got into high school doing well. I decided that I wanted to um, be a math teacher because I, I thought that was such an important skill and important work and decided to major in math when I was in college. Um, and, you know, I actually failed my first semester of calculus one. I failed, almost failed the second semester. And, you know, going into my math degree, I just struggled a lot, right? So for someone like me, grew up, kid you not, A's and B's in my math classes, literally <laughs> valedictorian of my high school. I come into college and I'm barely passing my math classes. I'm like, some, there is a, mm. there is a gap there is something is going is wrong right. and i need to under and i couldn't at the time understand what was wrong um in college and and stuff like that um and then fast forward to that i realized you know going into i did a year of service at commonwealth core because i wanted to kind of understand education um and the role it plays for our youth um and through that opportunity had an opportunity to get my mba um, in nonprofit management at Brandeis University, which kind of started the reason why um, I found it systemic flow. And really part of the reason was, is the lack of representation in the fields, right? In college, I was literally the only black woman in my math classes. And a lot of the people who I went to school with already had access to advanced math classes. I'm talking about Calc 1, Calc 2, and statistics that I right. didn't even have the opportunity to take. Um, and not only that, again, um, lack of representation. So I didn't really find people who looked like me in these spaces and specific job opportunities to tell me that I could excel, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> I hear that. Now, there's a lot there that I want to really unpack here. So first off, I find it ironic that you were shy and you internalized so many different things, but yet you had the courage in seventh grade to go up to your teacher 
and self-advocate for yourself, which is something that's rare. As someone who's taught middle school for years, there aren't too many people who would come up to the teacher with a portfolio of work and say, hey, I think you got it wrong here, uh, miss or, or mister. Can you go ahead and just check the work one more time just to make sure that you graded it correctly? That's a rare occurrence, at least in my experience. So that alone shows me that math really humanized you in ways that other content areas didn't. So that's number one. And then number two, I could see why you struggled during college. I mean, I was just a pure math major all throughout college, my undergrad. You're doing applied math. You're doing economics and statistics. People who are outside this math space don't realize how difficult those subjects are individually. So I can see where some of the difficulties would come just by handling that heavy of a workload. So um, I would love for you to just share what were some of those challenges outside of feeling like an outlier in every math class you were in throughout undergrad. Yeah, I think a, a couple that I can talk about, one would be uh, interactions that I had with my professors. Um, anytime when I wanted to have uh, help or assistance in understanding a concept, oftentimes they would brush over and say, but you're a math major, you should know this. And when mm-hmm. I start to have those kinds of conversations, it made me feel like, you know, I would never get this right, or maybe I really didn't belong. So that was definitely one. Two, I think oftentimes, um, and this is from my own personal experience, but what I'm seeing in systemic flow, we can't articulate the kinds of the, the classes that we're taking and how that benefits us in the future. Um, and so oftentimes I'm like, I see all of these different classes. I want to be a teacher. Why do I need to take statistics if I want to, if I want to teach algebra two? Like I'm really confused here. Um, and so kind of having students in advance really understanding the different job paths that are out there um, would have been super beneficial for me to understand all of that. And now what I tell myself or students, um, the stuff that I learned in school was more about the transferable skill sets that I gained versus the kind of content that I, I learned and I developed over time. So I would say a combination of those things were crucial Campus culture, again, I was coming from a very small school of 110 students, um, high school, and then I'm going to a university that has over 25,000 students. Um, So just understanding those kinds of dynamics on the college campus was a struggle for me as well. Um, And then again, understanding more of like those cultural um, awareness aspects of myself, right? Because there were over 25,000 students, it was so hard for me to understand who I was at the time um, and how to really embrace who I was um, as a Haitian American first generation student in college. And then after you go through your undergrad, I know that you went to grad school and you engaged in gender studies and leadership. So with regard to that, I'm, I'm wondering if your upbringing being Haitian American and maybe even seeing your mother and other matriarchal figures within your family uh, go through challenges within 
a society which is very patriarchal, how much of that factored into your decision to pursue gender studies and leadership in your graduate certificate program? Yeah, I think it definitely was there a lot. In fact, even though I was super shy and quiet, I was also very stubborn. So I always Mm -hmm. challenged the status quo, right? So uh, I know when I first wanted to go get my math degree or wanted to go into grad school, my aunties and my mom would say, why don't you become a nurse? And I'm sitting here like, why would you think I want to become a nurse? Like, like, we never had this kind of conversation. Um, But again, it goes back to in our mindsets when we think of nursing, we think we associate it with caregiving, right? So I wanted to understand more so of how I can kind of help others by um, removing certain stigmas and mindsets within my own self. So I went into gender studies actually more so of trying to understand it in my own view, how to grapple with whatever I'm going to going through internally um, to then be an advocate for others or have conversations with my mom and my aunties about how we can kind of um, amplify each other in whatever kind of field or Uh, opportunities that lies ahead of us for sure and then as far as you wanting to pursue entrepreneurship did you have any people within your family that were who are already entrepreneurs and you just saw that template and said i want to do that or was this something that you just felt was out of need because you didn't see that within your own family or even your community so funny. Nope. No one in my family is, was, is an entrepreneur. Um, actually, let me take that back. My dad, I would say he's an entrepreneur. Um, he is jacks of all trades. So growing up, I saw him like build houses. I saw him um, uh, like paint. I saw him do a whole lot of different things. Um, But I think, again, barriers as far as resources and access and how to, like, take the knowledge that, you know, and actually build a business was a roadblock for him. So growing up, I didn't realize it, but my dad definitely was an entrepreneur. But like to say or a business owner, uh, matter of fact, but to say like someone who actually successfully grown a business, not necessarily. Uh, And in fact, when I first uh, started my business systemic flow, my mom is (laughs) my mom asked the question. She's like, why are you starting a business and you don't even have that much experience working? Right. Because traditionally for her, she's been at the same company for over 30 years. um, And for her being at that company, you have to kind of grow up and manage up um, to then have some sort of influence and power to do whatever it is that you want. So I was like the child coming in here, like complete opposite of like what it is that my parents wanted to do um, and having to kind of tell them the reason why or the visions behind what it is that I want to do with my business. And over time, of course, now they're like super proud. But, you know, in the beginning, there definitely were some barriers to um, seeing myself as an entrepreneur. I will say that I've never saw myself as an entrepreneur um, until most recently. So I started Systemic Flow back in 2017. um, But it wasn't maybe until at the height of the pandemic that I was like, wow, I really I can do this type of stuff, right? I can like balance both a full-time job and this business. Um, 
and, and work to make the impact that I want to make in my community. And part of the reason why I said this again, you know, I'm challenging myself, right? When I saw leadership, I, I saw white male figures who were super uh, vocal in like meeting rules. And I and I compared myself to those people. I, I'm, I'm not like that. I like to be behind the scenes. I like looking at data. Um, I like creating programs, but I'll give it to someone else to implement it, right? I was someone who was more so behind the scenes. And so, you know, when I think about business leaders at the time and entrepreneurship, I'm like, that, that doesn't sound like Jessica. Maybe I should just stay at, you know, working at a full-time job and making money for someone else and call it a day. But I think there was a crucial moment um, in grad school where there was a Google employee who sent out a memo that literally said women and, and men are um, different due to psychological differences. And therefore, women will never be in the STEM field ever in their lives. Wow. And I think that really just blew my mind. It made me so angry to the point where I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to do systemic flow because I, I, I don't know why people are still thinking in those ways. Um, nor do I want the girls who we're working with to ever feel inferior that they can't be in, in a STEM-related degree or in the field of their choice. Um, and so I did a startup pitch competition, and, and five years later, we're here rocking it um, in Boston. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're going to talk more about systemic flow in a few minutes, but I do want to transition us into the next section of this conversation, which is show your work. So this, these are the three most popular words in our math space as educators. We have students who come up to us with work that they want to grade, and they may not have the evidence to show that they understand what's going on. They just have answers, solutions. And we just tell them, okay, this looks good, but you got to show your work. I need to know I need confirmation that you understand what's going on. This solution alone is not going to show me that. So give me some evidence of your math thinking. So we say that probably thousands of times throughout the school year. I know I have every year of my career. But in this context of the podcast, when we say show your work, the work is about the receipts. Mm. And you have quite a few receipts in terms of the work you've done with youth, the work you've done with women of color who need to be elevated within the STEM space. And I really want to highlight that work in this section. So I want to start by asking you this. In all the previous jobs you've done leading up to systemic flow, what were some lessons that you gained in those jobs that you've been able to apply to this entrepreneurial journey? I would say one lesson is don't stick to the old stuff um, because that will just make you comfortable um, and that would make your program stagnant. What I mean by that is oftentimes a lot of the work that I have done was in the nonprofit sector, um, which I love, by the way, but, you know, there's a delicate balance between, you know, having to sustain nonprofit organizations by receiving grant money but because of that, you're sort of, you know, characterizing the kind of person you want in your program to make it successful, which oftentimes leaves out the people who we should be working with, who may not be 
you know, traditionally, whatever these grantees or grantors are, are looking for within a person, but that should be kind of our role as educators, um, people who run businesses to be an advocate for the reasons why um, we are doing this work. So, um, and a lot of the programs that I'm realizing is you really can't be too comfortable with what you have just because it's going to um, provide the kind of sustainable finances that you need in the long term. Um, we got to kind of disrupt the way that we're thinking in the processes by um, engaging those who are participants of our programs to continuously reflect and continuously to provide feedback in a way that can make the programming um, or your organizations even more robust than it is. Um, and then the other lessons learned, again, I, I would say is the transferable skills part. So often when I work with um, folks and, and women of color, when it comes to applying for job opportunities, you know, we can't, sometimes we have a hard time articulating the amazing work that we do at an organization. And literally I'm sitting here like, let's talk about, you know, whatever role you had at TJ Maxx, right? Customer service skills, great. Time management skills, great. Um, and so it's more about like how we, how can we continue to um, showcase to people the transferable skills that they've gained in one job is crucial and is needed in um, other opportunities. Um, I would say are probably the top two lessons that I've learned um, throughout this various work. And, I, and actually another thing you've mentioned in terms of humanizing and empathy, um, I think oftentimes, especially in my role in career coaching um, and education, I just need to meet people where they are. Um, there are times in my journey, I am super strict. <laughs> my friends will say that very strict. And so I would make up these rules and I would have these buckets. And I'm like, if this person doesn't come meet me at 7 p.m. or whatever, then that's it. We're not doing this anymore. Sometimes I didn't realize students or, or people may not have access to transportation. Of course, they can't meet me at 7 p.m. So let me work around your schedule and figure out where is there is there a location that's suitable for you where we can kind of provide these kinds of services and opportunity. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, that concept of time, you know, that's a whole westernized mindset. That's number one. Mm -hmm. um, and. I'm reminded of that even more being here in Sierra Leone. <laughs> you know, you tell somebody, hey, you know, let's meet at 11 o'clock in the morning. 11 o'clock to them may mean noontime, you know, mm -hmm. so you always have to add an hour to to equate it to the time that you want them to come. So, you know, that's just part of the culture. But the latter point that you made about the transferable skills. I just feel like it's a shame that we don't teach our young people those transferable skills or help them to recognize that mm -hmm. the little things that they do in their part-time jobs, even yes. the things that we do in math, there's a hidden curriculum in math that has a load of transferable skills that we don't even realize. Just mm -hmm. the art of problem solving is something that you need as an entrepreneur, thinking about algebra, thinking about some of the other strands of math where there are multiple ways to get to the same solution. Mm -hmm. Or if one solution doesn't work in this context or in this problem, okay, let's try method B. Let's try method C and see if we get a better result or yield a different outcome. These are things that we must yeah. do in life. 
not just entrepreneurship. I yeah. will say that was the beauty of math to me. My problem solving mm -hmm. skills are on point. Like it's on point. I analyze stuff intensely. Like I'm looking at this data. I'm like, where's the rest of it? <laughs> what are the questions that we're not asking in ways like, and I think those are the things that are impacting, um, impactful. And those are kind of like that leadership skills that I'm like, you have it within yourself to do that. Um, and to be your own advocate within your community when you do see something that is not okay. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that up because those were definitely like two skill sets I would say definitely resonated with me in my journey in math. All right. Yeah. And then since we're focusing on women of color, more specifically black and brown women, yes. uh, we know that there's a leaky pipe, leaky pipeline when it comes to um math majors, STEM majors in general, who are pursuing higher level degrees, whether we're talking master's degrees or doctoral degrees. I don't have the exact statistics uh, that they are currently, but I know that there's still a major disparity uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to that. And we do see it changing. And there's some women within history who have pursued PhDs and have earned them and have done some amazing things, but we don't hear about them. So I'm interested in knowing from you, how would you describe the current state of STEM education as it relates to black and brown women uh, within that space? Yes. Um, I think first off for me, I think of STEM education, again, access and opportunity to relevant STEM topics, um, conversations that you may have, whereas, you know, having someone then take what it is as far as what they're exposed to in STEM and get them to be majors. Well, that's that's where there's a discrepancy here, right? So I think we're doing pretty well from what I can see from the STEM education part and like bringing a wealth of knowledge and opportunity to our women of color, black and brown women, um, but there's still a delay or there's still disinterest we're seeing from women to actually pursue these STEM related degrees. Um, and so I would say, you know, in terms of, of the state, yes, we're doing some stuff, but I think we have to, to your point earlier, when you talked about intentionality and you're, you're making me put my hat on, um, I think there has to be more of an intentional effort um, in how we are designing uh, programs specifically to get black and brown women into STEM related careers. Um, for instance, just saying women of color, very vague term, we gotta understand who within this pipeline um, is really targeted and is really needed which are black and brown women. Um, yes. And so that within, of course, um, is one of the challenges. But I think another, um, again, when I go on what's called these listening tours, I'm hearing similar experiences that I have, right? Not sometimes education, like I think uh, when it comes to access to certain math topics and stuff, you can get it, right? Like I've seen students who are like, I can't make this. And, you know, they've come from a D to an A student. Like I've seen this, but it's more of like that support system. It's more of those interactions you have with your professors that can kind of influence someone to step away from um, getting their STEM major or their STEM degree. 
Hence why oftentimes when we're thinking of developing certain, again, programs and whatever the things that we want to do, I think representation, having conversations like this, having mentors who you can actually look look to um, and seek advice is going to be what make like kind of the turning point to engaging more black and, and brown women in the STEM fields. Um, and then again, just going back to transferable skills, understanding the skill sets, understanding that um, STEM industry is super broad right now. And so sometimes, you know, we kind of have to think through what are the opportunities that are out there um, and understand how that kind of plays a, a game into um, our STEM, STEM world. And when I think about this issue, there are so many things that come to mind. I wonder if it's as simple as increasing the number of black and brown women math teachers in K to 12. I know when I was going through my schooling, I didn't have any black and brown uh, women math or science teachers. I can't even think of any that I had in college, to be honest. And I know if I had at least one, that would have made a difference for me. And right. I'm sure, and I don't know if that was the situation for you um, going through K to 12, if you had any uh, black and brown STEM teachers, whether we talk in math or science at any level. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm very blessed. I would say third up to... From third grade, moving to high school, um, it was all folks of color. Um, I have wow. black women, yes, black women, uh, Latin, Latino uh, teacher, um, Caribbean. So I, I did have, I would say, um, that kind of interaction uh, in terms of representation in the field for sure. Um, but I think about, and you're right, yes, we can increase the number of black and brown uh, women in the education space, but then understanding how we can create spaces that are equitable, that are inclusive for our teachers to flourish in, right? Um, right now, like in Boston, they're cutting out middle schools. And now the schools are either K through six, seven through 12. And there's not right. a lot of seven through 12 buildings. So you have a one to 30, what, 35 teacher to student ratio. Like that is, that is ridiculous. I, I don't, I love math, but, and I, and I applaud all the educators out there, but I don't know if I can truly bring value to a classroom with one to 35 students. I just can't. And I think when we, you know, bring in these representation, which is fine. Um, I just think, again, we have to think about um, how are we helping them when it comes to whatever else mental health related issues, so be it, or interactions that they have in the classrooms that we kind of need to kind of amplify for them, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. And as someone who was a former BPS teacher, I left right before that shift was taking place. I actually saw the the harbinger of that shift, which was happening right before I was out of there. So I definitely feel everything that you're saying. But then I also wonder about the curriculum itself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we know that there are probably certain strands of math that may not be as relevant as other strands. 
and there are probably certain things that we're learning in college, undergrad, that we probably should have learned at the high school level. Yeah. Like when I think back to my own experience, you even alluded to this earlier. You didn't get exposed to calculus until you got to undergrad. That was the yeah. same case for me. Uh, even like a class like number theory. Number theory is something you should learn a lot earlier on. You're talking about the visibility rules. You're talking about certain algorithms, just understanding the interrelated connections between numbers and, and yeah. theories. That would be helpful for our young people, especially we consider the fact that so many of them rely on memorizing the formula, memorizing yeah. the algorithm. And just regurgitating steps as opposed to understanding the mathematics, the pure mathematics behind the steps and the rationale, the concept, the concepts. I was just going to say when I got to college, I didn't realize like, you know, uh, how reliant we would be on calculators because I didn't have that growing mm. up. You had to memorize. And so when I got to college, I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, like, like it was I frowned upon to have a calculator. It was frowned upon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I. But to your point, I think um, the more that we can expose um, young people, because I love how you're using that too, um, in math earlier on, I think can definitely help um, increase that retention rate of them entering the STEM fields. So be it for sure, a hundred percent. Yeah, and there, there's a lot there, and then. You know, you have systemic flow, but you also have your other jobs as well. So systemic flow is not something that you're doing full time. Am yeah. I correct in that assessment? Yes. So I'm just wondering, how are you able to maintain that equilibrium, right? That healthy balance between what you do with systemic flow, in addition to just the public speaking and all the other things you do to support uh, women, and then the work that you do uh, with the Chamber of Commerce in the Boston area, like how do you make that balance work? Yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult balance to maintain uh, for sure. Um, I I go to I go to church, and so something that they always mention in terms of of God is like, you know, He gave me the strength because He knew that I could do it, um, and so I think you know, the work that I'm doing with speaking as well as systemic flow and my full-time job at the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce all goes back to a unifying mission um, of community, impacting the community, increasing access and opportunity to those who have um, long been, to communities that have been disinvested for so, so long and using my voice, using the knowledge that I do now that I do have to amplify um, kind of those solution-oriented um, programs and events that we can to make Boston a lot more inclusive. So I actually am intentional about where I spend my time and who I work for and who I'm working with and partnering with to ensure that my bottom line and my higher line or whatever it's called um, is meeting the crucial point of how do I just impact my community in ways um, that can help make Boston a better place to live. And so how I do that 
is um, thankfully I have a manager at Greater Boston Chamber where I'm constantly having conversations about what it is that I need to do for systemic flow, being able to schedule a couple hours out of my day to do some, you know, high critical needs meetings and running programs. Um, and then, you know, for my speaking stuff, again, I think stories are impactful, impactful. And um, I know I have, you know, I know I have a lot to say and I think it can resonate with people. And so being able to use platforms like this to, uh, uh, you know, adhere to a larger audience is something that I, I always love. And I'm also challenging myself by speaking up a lot more and, and being more out there. And so there is this kind of balance between what it is that I want to do for people, but then also how I want to grow and professionally develop. And then for Systemic Flow, we have phenomenal partnerships with universities, um, with BPS schools, where I'm able to find volunteers, interns, part-time people who get the mission of Systemic Flow and is willing to work at Systemic Flow um, through, uh, you know, funding opportunities by relevant partners or even by volunteer opportunities. And so um, I make the necessary necessary time to make sure that the programs we implement uh, are intentional, but then also providing that mentorship and guidance for my staff when it comes to um, amplifying the work that we do at Systemic Flow. Mm, nice. Look at you, boss status, boss lady. Okay, I see. Okay. You. <laughs> I, I, yeah, come on, you, you need to embrace that now. I know you're humble enough, but you got to embrace that. You know, you're doing it. Yes. And that was Listen. something growing up that was so hard. People humble, modest. I had to be right when I interacted with my parents. It's like, why are you? Why are you speaking up now? No, you you have to be quiet. You have to do what it is that you're told. Versus me being kind of encouraged to say, no, I'm going to do what it is that I want and I'm going to advocate for what it is that I want. So it's, it's getting, I'm, 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 I'm eliminating these barriers, mental barriers for sure. So I appreciate that. Yeah. But it's an unlearning that has to happen. And just for the record, it's something that I still deal with to this day mm. because I think as black folks, we've been conditioned to just be humble and not to, be boastful and and too loud about our achievements and what we do because we feel like we can't get too high because we haven't reached the the final destination yet we haven't reached that final goal whatever we have set for ourselves i agree can i tell you really quick i had this conversation yeah. with a latina woman in the finance industry who finally, finally made it to a manager position so now she's like yes i have power now to help you know increase retain more latinos and latinas in the finance industry um and so she was able to hire a couple people and had uh, applications given from a white male and a latina woman and one of the ways that they had to kind of you know figure out who was the best person for this new and upcoming role was through kind of peer feedback uh, and peer feedback for the white male person is like, oh my gosh, you know, Johnny is great. He's doing awesome. You should definitely recommend him. And this is, you know, conversations she's also hearing from her boss versus the Latina woman. Everyone's like, she's not a team player. She's super aggressive. You know, you know, we wouldn't necessarily recommend her for this position. And we forget that it's not aggression, right? It could be that I don't know how long she was in the financial industry, but the conversations and interactions, maybe she had to, you know, 
I don't know, advocate for herself in a way where she may come off as aggressive, where she may not come off as a team player. Um, and so just going back to like how to the, the condition of like being humble and stuff, um, I just find that super interesting when, you know, going into like the this manager level position um, and still wanting to advocate for someone, but not necessarily knowing how to do so. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And there are a lot of racialized work experiences that happen, like what you're mentioning. Um, so often we see these microaggressions, which aren't micro to begin with. Nope. Um, nothing micro about them, but they occur time and time again. And, you know, I feel like we just need to do more work around, you know, unconscious bias and how it manifests itself in our professional spaces. And I know we're talking about STEM, but that's just pretty much across the board in any industry that we find ourselves in. Um, you were mentioning about this idea of accessibility, you know, for our young people, because I know that when I was teaching, a lot of my middle schoolers would have to go across the Charles River to Cambridge to have access to a lot of these STEM programs, most of which were being ran by maybe MIT or Harvard, right? So to hear that systemic flow is going into BPS schools and having that immediate impact on young people so that they don't have to travel too far of a distance to those programs, I feel like that's that's a huge step in itself because that wasn't there before. Yeah, no, trans transportation has always been a barrier to our students, um, to our young people. And so, yes, we intentionally find partners who can give us space, help us recruit the students, help us identify the parents and meet where the parents are to then understand how best to deliver programs and engage with their uh, youth and stuff like that. So um, we are in the heart of the schools. We also do a lot of program in Roxbury, in Mattapan. Again, a lot of places where transportation is feasible and has access. Um, and not only that, but if we can and we have the means, we also provide like transportation stipends to those who, to those who show up to our programs um, and things like that. So we're definitely challenging the status quo for sure and, and making sure that we can build programming for students. There's still barriers till this day, right? A lot of our partners, for the most part, we've been able to do a lot of after school programming, but my mission is to try to do more in school programming so that students who are unable to do after school programming can like you know, participate in, in what we do at Systemic Flow. All right, cool. And this will probably be a great way to finish this off before lightning round. Speaking on the services that Systemic Flow provides uh, for our young people, what are those services specifically? So I know you mentioned after-school programming. I'm also wondering if there's opportunities for our secondary-level students to get internships in a STEM field or a company? Because I know you have partners with Systemic Flow. So um, yeah, just talk to us about the services. And then a second part to that is, where do you see this company within the next five years? Good question. I think as far as services that we provide, um, STEM after-school programming, 
um, a lot of our kind of model, holistic model or approach to how we teach is threefold, right? Focus on black and brown women, um, focus on that transitional gap, right? So from fifth to sixth, eighth to ninth, you know, 11th and 12th up to, you know, post-secondary education. Um, but then also, uh, you know, experiential learning, mentorship opportunities with professional women. And so we do engage and we do support students in finding internship opportunities for sure um, at the high school level and even uh, post, post-secondary opportunities if, if they're interested, though there are a lot of partners in the space that we can kind of refer services to them for that. We do have an online math institute program that we typically have in the summer to help students um, gear up for the fall and giving them access to, again, more of those rigorous math classes. We do our quarterly My STEM Story panel event where, again, we're highlighting two or three BIPOC women in the STEM field, and they literally tell us our story. So similar to this, right, you know, how it started versus how it's going versus where it's taking you type of conversations that we have with young people. So it's not just about that academic uh, preparation where, you know, intentionally bringing people who look like them, having conversations about, you know, STEM and, you know, how they found their passion and what it is that they're doing, but then also trying to find more intentional opportunities to invite that internship opportunity for students hinting at the transferable skills, right? You may not necessarily be in the STEM industry for sure, but in these industries, STEM-related skills are super important and let's help you identify what those skills look like. Um, in five years for Systemic Flow, oh my gosh, national <laughs> organization. We are, I, you know, big picture thinking of ways to um, train and recruit calculus teachers. Um, primarily teachers of color who can provide this kind of curriculum and access to a lot of schools. So essentially kind of having a, a matching or a recruitment platforms to match, you know, uh, calculus teachers with schools and kind of encouraging um, schools to participate more in, in calculus curricula. Um, other things that we're doing, again, another mention is matching sites. So like, you know, elevating the stories of our young um, women of color and BIPOC women in the STEM fields and engaging them with our students as well in that level. Um, but then also partnering with higher ed education institutions to um, continue to amplify um, more of like that calculus, um, uh, excuse me, opportunities for students to take before going into to, to college if post-secondary opportunities is what they're looking for. Ah, cool. That sounds really promising, exciting as well. Yes. And yes. I and honestly, it's it's like a five. I talked five, but it's probably five, ten years. <laughs> we'll definitely see all this happening. Oh, but you're manifesting though. You're manifesting yes. five, but you're still yes. being realistic. That, that, yes. That's the approach you should take, of course. But Jessica, uh, listen, this has been a great conversation and you know, it's a shame that we can't talk all day because we do have other things we got to do. But to close us out, uh, we do have our lightning round. So we have a few quick hitter questions to wrap everything up. Uh, first question I have is, what's your favorite math subject or skill to teach or learn? Algebra 2. Oh, nice. See, yeah, we definitely could be friends for sure. <laughs> Um, least favorite skill to 
teach or learn in math, geometry. of course. Yeah, geometry. Geometry. Okay. Now with geometry, is it the is it the trig that gets you? I mean, what what about geometry? I think it is the trick, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it, wasn't, it, it did not click for me. Um, it really didn't, especially, yeah. <laughs> if Listen, I have I to, I will. Yes. I prefer not to. <laughs> yes. Honestly, outside of algebra, I would say geometry would be the next thing I would teach. I don't necessarily love it, but I'm able to teach the curriculum. Yes. But it's one of those things we have to I have to work a little bit harder yes. uh, to do that. Like I might have to do some practice problems myself before I go out there and teach uh, my kids that. And that's something that I had to do last year. I, I taught um, upperclassmen in high school virtually um, algebra for a year. And yeah. that was a humbling experience. But I feel like I, I did pretty well. And they came out of it feeling like they learned a lot. So. I'm proud of myself for that. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And that's all that matters. Um, yes. For sure. Um, is there a book that you're reading currently? Yes. Uh, Sisters in Arms. I want to say that's what it's called. I was I had it here and then I, I misplaced it. Um, I'm totally blanking on the Arthur, but I can definitely send that your way. Um, right. No problem. If you walk into any space, not even a classroom, just any space in general, what's that walk-in song for you? Pretty Girl Rock by Carrie Hilson. That's it. It's so catchy, you know? Yeah, that is my song. No, that's no, that's a joint right there. And then uh finally. If you can invite three influential figures, dead or alive, to dinner, who would they be? I um, I don't have one. I don't. I can't think of people yet. I'm sorry. Oh, for real? Um, maybe I would say Catherine uh, Johnson as one. There you go. I would say um, Issa Rae. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And um, I would say Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. Mm. Yes. That's a see, that's a powerful table right there. <laughs> All right. Well, and that's gonna close us out, Jessica. So thank you again uh for coming on. And if you could just let people know how they can connect with you on social media. And also connect with your work uh, through Systemic Flow. Yeah, I think um, if you are interested, feel free to volunteer with us. There's so many opportunities to engage with our youth in, in so many ways. And so we are looking for volunteers in a variety of ways. Um, and, you know, you can catch us on, you know, Instagram and LinkedIn is probably our highest presence, as well as, you know, go on our website, systemicflow.com. Um, a lot of our social media ha handles is at Systemic Flow. So you'd be able to kind of look us up from there and, and follow us and engage. Definitely subscribe to our newsletter when you get on our website, because that's when you'll get to kind of read the more in-depth work that we do in our community. All right. There it is, y'all. Y'all heard it. Make sure you hit up Systemic Flow and learn more about their services as well as 
follow Jessica's work. So Jessica, this has been a pleasure and hopefully we can do this again in the near future. For sure, much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, no problem. You have a great rest of the day. You too. All right. All right, y'all. So this is a wrap. We're going to close out another episode of Radical Math Talk. And as always, I wish you all a good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Peace out, y'all. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Radical Math Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and all other streaming platforms. We are always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard today, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at identitytalk4educators.com. I'll say it one more time identitytalk4educators.com Thank you and have a great day.